coming up on another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. Myself and Cody Ajada, we're going to talk about the Socceroos. Yes, the Socceroos. Graham Arnold Socceroos qualifying for the round of 16 of the 2022 FIFA World Cup after defeating Denmark 1-0 this morning. So much emotion after the game. So much elation. Uh, just can't really put it into words, really. You'll probably hear my voice during this podcast, and even now, that uh, I'm not in the best shape. Um, feeling a little bit sick at the moment. And uh, probably part of that is yelling at the pubs of these last two games, Tunisia and Denmark for Australia. Um, and yeah, it's just been a crazy ride these last couple of games. And myself and Cody are going to do our best to sum it all up for you. You know, the game this morning against Denmark, first and foremost, but then also Graham Arnold, his legacy now, after now being the most successful uh, coach to ever coach Australia at a World Cup. Uh, it just has to be said. Uh, we'll have to see how he goes, of course, against Argentina. We'll talk a little bit about that matchup coming up. Lionel Messi taking on Harry Suter and co. in the round 16. It's going to be an absolutely fascinating tie. And uh, I can tell you one thing for sure. My flights are booked. I am going to Melbourne. I will be watching that game at Fed Square. How can you not? It's just going to be absolutely insane. 5.30 Sunday morning, Australia, for the second time in their history, are through to the last 16 of the FIFA World Cup. I am your host, Christian Marchetti, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. It's another Socceroos reaction um, episode. And probably what's most incredible about this is that this won't be the last reaction podcast that we do to the Socceroos because they've made it to the round of 16 of the World Cup. uh, And they will take on Lionel Messi's Argentina in the next round. I think it's been well documented at this point around the Denmark game and what's what's happened, what's transpired over the last 12 hours or so. Um, And 12? Probably more. What am I talking about? About about eighteen, anyway. But uh, just a just an absolutely incredible uh, turn of events for for the Socceroos and for Australian football um, to make it out of this group with Denmark and France. And as you can probably hear in my voice, I am a little bit worse for wear, having uh, once again attended the pub to watch to watch the game, and uh, once again been yelling at the TV all game. So um, you know. Yeah, I actually still went to work today, though. So that was uh, fucking somehow I did that. Um, but, you know, anyway, I'm joined by Cody Ajada. Uh, and we're just going to do a two-person podcast here. Cody, mate, um, you know what? You know what we're going to start with? We're going to start with, tell me, you know, where you were for the game. You know, how, how it went down where you were. What were the emotions like when Lecky scored? Or, you know, pa- paint a picture for me. Well, look, I rendered myself sick on Saturday night after the Tunisia game. So I was stuck at home. I had work at 8.30 as well, so I wasn't going out anywhere. I wasn't going to get back in time to log on. But simple one, at home. think I've made my voice a little bit worse, I've got to say. I didn't so care you, didn't, you didn't go to Cheers I was still going crazy. Sorry? You didn't go to Cheers Bar for this game? No, no, no. Uh, oh, just look, 
just an easier, just an easier. Yeah. This um, Sunday morning might be different, depending mm. if my body decides it wants to get itself better. But um, <laughs> nah, this one on my own, but vibes are the same. Can't believe it. This is crazy to think about. It's good at areas at the moment. Yeah, I. it's just... <laughs> so Socceroos, have, they've scored in each group game, which is the first time ever. They've made the round of 16 for the second time ever, but I'm sure if we compare this squad to the 2006 squad, um, I think this squad is <laughs> quite a bit below. Um, and yet yeah, they, you know, they, they've still matched Emulated. that achievement, which is just incredible. Uh, I mean, I know we, <clears throat> and there goes my voice for the first time in this podcast. Um, I know that we, uh, Antonis Pagonis, one of our writers, did a, a piece on the Socceroos before the tournament and said that, <clears throat> there we go again, um, that, you know, the soccer is a better place this year than they were in 2018. But fuck me. Um, I did not think that they were <laughs> going to emulate, emulate 2006. I mean, what w- what's going on? Um, there's actually, after Tunisia, it was kind of like, okay, you know, like, wow, okay, we're showing something. But now it's just, now it's just weird. That's, that's what I'm kind of feeling now. Like, it's like, well, what's going on here? Like, this is just, I, I know, love it. Honestly, oh, I, love oh, so I much. absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. Um, but, it is just oh, not, so strange. not even just talking about the fact that we're doing good and that we've been successful, but it's it's a special group. And considering everything that Arnie's gone through, this, what the squad's going through with all the hate that came on him during the um qualifying process, for them to then come to this tournament, they said the entire time, they're going to give it a go. We're going to shock the world. And we're now that team that kind of people around the world are going, oh, look at these guys. They're on, they're on a dream run. It's, Absolutely. it's surreal to think about. Like people are... There's people making graphics of Mitch Duke next to Lionel Messi. Like, what the hell? It's we're, yeah. we're on a weird timeline at the moment. It's it's on, honestly, it's crazy. It's crazy, and I think I think maybe the world looks at it as, you know, they're obviously shocked as well. But maybe they just think, you know, oh, like a surprise team getting through to the round of sixteen. You know, it kind of happens for a couple of teams each World Cup. But for us as as Australian football fans, and knowing what we've been through in the last couple of years. And knowing, you know, our own thoughts on this team and Graham Arnold and, and, and Football Australia and blah, 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 you know, to, for this to happen is, is I think, we're most shocked than anyone, Um, which look, is, yeah. Look, I remember, I think it was the first pre-match podcast we did. It was um the one where Jeremy was hosting. Yeah. It was either that one or it was another one where yeah. I was very hopeful about our chances of getting out of the group. I did predict it. That was a fluke. And you, you and that, Matt laughed. That at me. was a fluke. Get out of here. Fluke, fluke, or fluke or not, I got it right, and I'm claiming it. But I remember sitting there saying, "We've got a chance to do something special. It's a centenary year. Um, emotions are heightened. There's a lot of writing going into this." And you and Matt were sitting there saying, "Like we're talking about dream runs of other teams, like." Compared it to Costa oh, that was Rica, more 2040, South Korea in 2002. And yeah. it was either you or Matt that sit, sat there and said, the difference between us and them is it's never us that's doing that. I said and that. So I was actually going to... I know. I was actually going to bring this up later. And we'll get to this later about like our, our you know perceptions going into the tournament and stuff. Because I remembered that today when I was kind of driving to work and stuff. I remember saying on that podcast, you know, it's never us. And then, you know, well, there you go. It is. Now um, it is. So, you know, oh, the amount of eggs that I've copped on my face during this uh, during this run has just been, like, next level. Um, so, you know, if, if people want to hate on me on Twitter, I mean, you know, you probably you probably got validation to do it. So, You'd um, have to accept it, but, like, it's not like you're going to be mad at the situation. Either. No, no. Um, let's, 
let's talk about the game first before we get into that sort of stuff and and I guess you know how much this team has shocked us. So Matthew Lucky with the winner, 60th minute, um, a, a quite brilliant uh, goal to be honest. Um, the way he's taken that as well. But Denmark were much better in my opinion in the first half without really creating anything major. But I did think Australia Australia's approach in the first half was concerning. I do think that. Maybe the plan, though, throughout the whole 90 was to literally sit in, defend for the first half, and then, which we saw in the second half, Australia spring a few more counterattacks and and look a bit more, you know, likely to score, uh, which they, of course, did with that goal. So I think how much as well, though, I think I actually mentioned, I might have tweeted this. I think I said, you know, we, we might have been, and I don't really care anyway, by the way, but we might have picked Denmark up on a pretty good night as well with them being just you know, not their usual selves in the final third and a lot of final balls that were lacking um, and a lot of kind of aimless crosses that, you know, and we'll get to Harry Suter and Kai Rolls in a second, but, uh, you know, those those titans at the back are not going to, uh, you know, are not going to uh, let fall to any Denmark players in that box. So I guess, you know, how, do you, how, how did you view the game coming out of it? Because obviously it was it was difficult to actually get your tactical kind of analytical head on because, you know, it was just an absolutely crazy, you know, achievement that we've actually made it but when you actually yeah, look, think back i'm glad yeah. you're not going to ask me on anything any very minute details because i no. was running that high on emotions i probably yeah. wasn't able to pay attention to it but um our approach in the first half i don't know if it was our approach or if we were just under that much pressure we couldn't do anything ourselves mm. that's the feeling that i got more of it um hoiberg erickson they controlled the midfield really well more every time we got the ball he seemed to either misplaced the pass himself or it was intercepted. I think it was just a good performance from the Denmark midfield in that area. But again, moving into the second half, I think as the game wore on, Denmark got more panicked because they were in a position where it was like, mm. yeah, we need to win. And that kind of played into our favour because the longer the game went through and the longer they went without scoring, those mistakes that they gradually made throughout the game, it was probably coming from a source of frustration more than anything. Absolutely. So that's kind of played into our favour. We've managed to take advantage of it. We created very little in that game when you look back on it. I, I actually but could the not fact believe that we, we were... scored a goal. That that was my, like, and just, <laughs> I remember it was about a minute before the goal and it was just like, and Tunisia obviously had scored um, just before we scored as well, which which really kind of played into the whole drama of it. And you're just kind of thinking, okay, great. So we need to like win now. Um and how on earth well, are we going to score? Concerned because, like I said, like we're struggling in the middle of the park. We're struggling to get a foothold on the ball. We had one counterattack, like kind of like the Red Sea parted open. I don't know how. Yeah, so that's Denmark interesting. Allowed Lecky to have that much space. That's... Yeah, it's interesting because, and I was listening to um to Tifa Football this morning um because they did a did a recap obviously of the games uh, overnight and they were talking a bit about how crucial Duke's hold-up play is in that move and also Suter getting the ball on the deck quickly and Australia transitioning from back to front really quickly but when Suter, uh, when not Suter, when Duke holds that ball up and then he eventually releases Irvine and then if Irvine releases McGree and then we get out like that you know the, the amount of players for Denmark they get attracted to the ball and then there's just space out the back and the other thing that I wonder is you know Tunisia scored just before that was there a and I mean it seems like a maybe you know uh, reaching here, but is there a feeling that Denmark were told that yeah Tunisia have scored, and you know in that moment they just decided to push a couple of numbers, extra numbers forward, and then we've we've reaped the benefits of it. I don't know, but the the ball by McGree is is perfect weight, 
And oh, that was, that was the first thing I said when I saw the ball. Yeah. It waited perfectly. Just perfect. Almost kind of went slow motion as well because of how much space yeah. that he had. Yeah, and Leckie's just got so much to do. I mean, you know, it, yeah, okay, it's one-on-one with the defender. He is a winger. You know, that is kind of his, you know, bread and butter. But, you know, he, he receives the ball, you know, a long way from goal. And, you know, he's got to kind of, it can kind of be hard in those situations because, you know, the, the defender knows what he wants to do. He knows that, you know, he's going to try and go one way or the other and he's going to shoot. So as a defender, you know what's coming. But that the agility to one way, another way, that way again, and then like just keep shifting, shifting foot. And uh, I can't remember, was it Andreas Christensen who was the defender defending? I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I but, can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, because honestly. Oh, seriously. I only watched the replay of the goal this morning uh, when I woke up. Um, I definitely didn't watch a replay in real time because I was jumping around like crazy. But um, then the finish is just like unerring and perfect. I mean, you know, it's not hit with like a lot of power, but the placement is just absolutely superb. Uh, and right in front of the Socceroos fans as well is, is always nice. So, Look, yeah. he probably had a ball with a amount of space to hit it into and you got it yeah. in perfectly. That's a crazy thing. Mm. Another crazy thing, I want, did you manage to get some sleep after that game? Yes, I did. Uh, I don't know how you did that. I, I was yeah, up. I, was, no, I, 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 was I did because like my, my body was like, if, if you don't sleep now, like, you know, I work in hospitality. So it was kind of like, you know, you're going to be walking around all day, like, you know, running around doing shit and whatever. So it was just like, if you don't sleep, man, you're you are so <laughs> fucked. <laughs> like you yeah, have to get something. Thanks a lot for the work from home life. No, but um, yeah, everything about it. Like you're talking about the agility, even the mm. confidence to take the ball from that part of the field. Know you've got a little support around you. Take it forward like that. Mm. Look, there's a reason why he's played in Bundesliga. There's a reason why he's played. And he knew exactly what he wanted to near do. Near the That's top the of world thing. football. Yeah. Well, look. At his prime, he was a genuine world class player. Is he still at that stage? Was he world class? I think world class might be a stretch, but he was. He was definitely a you know he was a, he was a consistent player. I'm talking about at his prime. Yeah, no, I don't think he's world class. I think he was getting oh, consistent look, minutes in a good league. You're you're playing if you're getting consistent minutes in the Bundesliga, you're either world class. Uh, hang on, it's not like he's played for Bayern Munich. Jesus, I'm telling you, playing for Hertha Berlin is is a world class. Is still it's world, world class. should still be considered world class. It's not world class. Come on. That's that. That's I'd, I'd, look, it's it's a lot better than just playing genuine professional football. It's 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 how many people get to say that done that in their career? No, very no, no. few Australians. No, no. Well, I just agree with you I mean. on the sense that Lecky in his prime was a very very good player. Um, and I think what's interesting is, and definitely checking social media at halftime is probably me included was like, what's going on with Lecky? I mean, he looked terrible uh, in the first half, and you kind of like, well. If he's not, and Australia's fullbacks got killed in the first half. That was the other thing with Bayich and Dejanek, which was an interesting decision from, from Arnie. Um, I think they handled themselves well. Second half, I think they improved. But I think, you know, three minutes in, Bayich is kind of sleeping and then he, he has to make that foul. It's probably not a yellow, but, you know, it's kind of like Denmark definitely caught us off guard a little bit early. And then those guys needed a bit of time to grow into it. I think the thing about Lecky Goodwin in the first half and... Luckily, we haven't got Antonis on here uh, to to give his thoughts on Goodman being dragged at halftime. But um, they, they just didn't seem like there was that same, you know, uh, what's the what's the word, you know, investment to to get back and defend and help the fullbacks as there was, you know, against Tunisia. And but does that come from the short turnaround? And well? that probably comes from the short turnaround. And I think the Socceroos have got, say, a conditioning problem, but I do think they seem to tire out a lot quicker than than the other teams I've probably watched at this tournament. 
Um, and maybe, you know, it is because they are, you know, having to be so mentally focused. If you look at these three games and, and be so compact and the communication has to be, you know, second to nine and this and the other, and that takes a lot of not just physical fatigue, but mental fatigue as well. So, you know, I get that, but, you know, I don't then, know if it's our conditioning. Yeah. I think it just might be, it could come down to style of play as well. We could, genuinely, yeah, we probably do. I don't want to say put more effort in. We'd probably cover more ground in a game than what a nation like, say, Argentina or Spain, or, or maybe not Spain, like an Argentina or a Denmark or a France do, simply because our style of play is a little bit more based around trying to cover as much ground as possible. Yeah. So looking at it that way, we probably do have to put a little, little bit more into the conditioning side of things because it's integral to how we're going to set up. Hmm. But I, I don't know. I would say it's a problem because you can see the way Arnold talks, they're investing every single little thing they can into recovery and conditioning. Absolutely, so. yeah. And, and and I know that, um, and we've heard this before, that Andrew Clark, the, the I want to say, physio, uh, team physio, is very highly rated and he's, you know, uh, it, it's very well known that he is very important to, to recovery and stuff. And, and there's definitely one, that's definitely one thing that Socceroos are always going to go into a tournament very, you know, well, you know, uh, acclimatized with is, is, you know, having a good kind of, recovery team and they can kind of you know the sports science side you know that that's something that i think australia is always kind of really good at but and look anyway, the, the yeah. fact of the matter is as much as we're probably not a first class footballing nation we are part of the first world we've got brilliant sports science just yeah, around that's, the that's, country yeah. in general so mm-hmm. it's something we can take advantage of at least so that aspect of sport i guess in general it's not a football thing it's a sport thing yeah that's right and so how much Back to the game. How much does the Bacchus change at halftime change that game? Because I also think I think it was actually really important. I think it definitely had an effect. But I also think the soccer has changed their mentality a little bit in the second half as well, um, which definitely contributed to it. It gave us a bit. I think it gave us a bit more solidity defending as well because you're taken yeah. out of ten. You move a great wide, which I think that was probably the biggest part of it that worked out well for me. Mm. But um. Looking at Bacchus, even his tournament as a whole, I have been genuinely surprised by how well he's done at this level. Yeah. I remember when we were doing the reaction for the squads and we were talking about the Volpato situation. I don't want to bring it up, but I'm doing it for two seconds. But now, now, now Volpato wasn't... What was with the rumours of Volpato being at the start? Oh, I heard, I heard he was there. I heard he left pretty early. No, I don't know what's going on no there. Way. I don't, no I don't way. really want to waste breaths on no, people no, we that don't. aren't we playing at the World Cup. Funny anyway. yeah. <laughs> um, but... When you were talking, oh, who would you move out of the squad for him if you are kind of put him in the 26th? Mm. The first person I said was Bacchus. And you're talking about you've been left egg, uh, with egg on your face about how you've talked about soccer. I've been left on my egg on my face with how I've talked about I Bacchus. Think, because... I think this is the type of... I think Arnold is... Look, you got to give him a lot of credit from the perspective that I do think he's selected players that suit what he's trying to do. So, you know... And okay. as he should as a manager. Which, which is absolutely what you should. I, but I think... You know, I think a lot of managers and and a lot of you know selection panels, you know, the coaching staff when they go into these tournaments probably just select okay, who's the who's the best twenty six players basically out there in form, uh, in in their positions, and we we'll just go with that. But I do think, you know, you look at um, not selecting Jason Davidson. Like, I don't know, maybe Jason Davidson isn't as accustomed to this type of football. I mean, he is a bit more of a you know attacking like fullback, right? So that's kind of something where you go, okay, maybe Arnold's making decisions where he's actually prioritizing players who are actually going to fit in what he wants to do. And look at Bacchus and Devlin, who still hasn't played, but I, I think 
still offer the same thing is that they're very similar to the Jackson Irvine mold where they're kind of just going to go out there and, and run like crazy. And that's kind of what Graham Arnold is is really built. You know, he, he started the narrative straight away with the Aussie DNA stuff. And we rolled our eyes, right? But then you're seeing over the last couple of games, you're like, okay, I actually get what he's trying to do here. He, he wants a team that's basically just going to cover every single inch of the pitch, is going to be aggressive, is going to be aggressive in duels, is going to be physical. And he's kind of playing into the... It's almost like he's actually playing into the perception that the world has of the Socceroos anyway, um, but it's working. So that and, and that's the thing which is kind of striking. Just one thing on Devlin, considering mm. we've talked about workload a little bit before, considering players like Jackson Irvine are going to start tiring out, Lecky, which was, uh, I think you said it before, where people were kind of asking him to come off. I remember after he scored, I was actually screaming at the TV saying, get him off, get him off, because he looked buggered. He looks Even good for sixty. Didn't. That that's kind of lucky at the moment. He looks good for about sixty seventy. Um, but so I don't you... mind him for ninety if he's fit. But he doesn't look like he's fully. But fit he doesn't. Anymore. He that's doesn't. Yeah, yeah. But um, we're looking at players that are going to start getting fatigued. Argentina is going to be a massive match. Don't get me wrong, but would oh, that don't, be the sort of game where I'm you not even. Put... I'm not even thinking about that till tomorrow. Right? Just Jesus. I'm just saying, like, does Devlin get minutes in that match? I don't know. I, I I can't see it. Like even like this, there were still some people last night saying, "I'll oh, bring Garang on, bring Garang." He's just not going to do it. I don't think. Like I think it's not. I think everyone. I give him a lot of credit as well because I think he's he's been expected to. Oh, you know, put Garang out there. What the hell? Or, or put put Tilio out there. Like you know, these guys can show something. But game I think management. What and I think yeah, that's but one it's thing also that's... it's also hang on. I mean, that's that's great to put Garang out there. But you know, in a tight game like that. You know, def- defensive discipline is what Graham Arnold and the Socceroos are prioritizing at the moment. So if if Garang, who's, who's very raw and is still very inexperienced, is not going to be able to do the defensive side, well, the way Arnold, I think, sees it is I'm, I can't put him out there. You know, it's it, you have to be able to do the ugly side of the game. Once you can do that and you've got quality on the other end, then definitely you can get minutes in this in this team. Look, you saw it in Tunisia game. He brought on a lot of the older heads just to try and see the game out a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I've got the same issue as you. Um, but half this fucking podcast got to be coughing. I think. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, no, but um, sorry. But even going into this game today, even if the subs maybe weren't the exact same as last week, as last against Tunisia, bringing I heard a lot of people say, "Oh, Demar gonna push people forward, bring Garang on, sit him high, let him hit him on the counter attack." The problem is, look at how our wings are playing. Look how much they had to get back. You can see it of Aranis, and it's probably one criticism I have of Grand Qual. And well, it's not really a criticism, it's just an aspect that I've noticed of his style of play. He's not the type to drop back as deep as what people think he does. No, but I mean, he's 18, he's, right? So you can go He's like, 18, he, and yeah, I'm not, yeah. it's not, look, it's not a dig at him. It's it's just a genuine fact of what he does. Yeah. Mariners would tell him, sit high. We've got defenders behind you that can take up the yeah. pressure. We're going to hit you the first ball we get. But on the stage that we're playing at the moment, especially when we're defending a 1 0 lead, you can't do that. We need our players dropping back. And then when you're talking about hitting them on the counter-attack, they're going to get on the t- counter-attack. Grand Qual still defending. So what's the use? You might as well bring on someone that's a little bit more experienced and has that in them to hold back and then we can push forward when we need to. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think when you look at, you know, the other thing is, um, and this is probably the this this podcast is probably the most I've ever given Graham Arnold just showering him with praise, um, which is which is you know it's new territory for me. I'll be honest. Um, but I think one comment of that uh, praising Graham Arnold will be the most praise you've ever given Graham Arnold on a podcast. To be fair, but but you know, 
we can say, and look, Arnie's never been my biggest fan. You know, I think we've definitely got a couple of other people. Uh, you know, Antonis would be one as well, who's, you know, not the biggest fan. I think probably most of the general football population, unless you're a Sydney FC fan, isn't the biggest fan of Graham Arnold. But here's the thing, a couple of things. You know, he trusts, I said against Tunisia after the game, he didn't make wholesale changes. He stuck to his guns. That's very important, right? Because, and it's very important if it comes off. Because then you can say, you know what? These are the guys I'm trusting, you know, repay my faith. And that's what Mitch Duke's done. That's what Matthew Leckie's done, Craig Gilbert, blah, blah, blah. The other thing as well is it was a really interesting moment. Now, I want to say it was, I'm not sure if it was after Tunisia or before Tunisia. I think it was after Tunisia where, you know, he was questioned about, you know, I think some of the comments like Mark Bosnich and, and John Aloisi uh, and probably Craig Foster were saying on SBS about the soccer's approach against France. And he said, who cares? And he said, you know, they've never coached. And he's probably talking about Bosnich and Foster in this in this instance, not John Aloisi, of course, who's just won a freaking A-League championship. But, you know, he's, he's obviously hinting at, you know, you can't tell him what to do, blah, blah, blah. And he's always been like that, where he's definitely not been afraid to come out and, and make big calls, right? You know, he's got he, that you know, arrogance about him though, doesn't he's, he? He's got that arrogance. He's got that arrogance. And, and you know, I I was not a big fan of it at Sydney FC. Um, but here's the thing. If you're arrogant, but you're going to get results, you know, <laughs> you can't criticize it. I mean, it's as simple as that. And, and he said, you know, they've never coached. I know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. And you're watching it and you're like, shit, that's a big thing to say because now, like, you know, you better go and, like, now get the result against Denmark. Otherwise, you know, that criticism is going to be warranted. But he he did. And he always does this. I think he does this in press conferences where he'll take a big risk with what he says, but he backs himself to, to see it through. And that's something that, you know, I, I do give him, and I do like that about him, is that he is a risk taker, at least in that sense. Maybe his style of play isn't as, you know, bold as Ange Postacoglia and this, that, and the other. But he... He puts himself out the spotlight and he's not afraid to take the criticism if it then leads to getting the results on the pitch. And he is now, you know, he's now like definitely like a top three. He has our best record as a manager at the World Cup. What's that? He has our best record as a manager at the World Cup. He has has a better record than Gusirink. He has a better record than Ange Postacoglu. Yeah. We're talking about Graham Arnold in that same breath. I know. And it's... His legacy now, which is an interesting thing I wanted to get into, is like he's always going to be a polarizing figure, I think. And I think it's a he's just a really fascinating figure as well in Australian football when and and I'm sure Matt, if he was on here, could attest to this around how he how he basically grew up as like this Croatian almost, playing at like Sydney United and and he got kind of accepted into that way of thinking and stuff. But then but then you like watch him now and like he, you know, and and I'm not trying to be you know, facetious or anything with this, but he does talk like a real Aussie, right? You know, he is kind of like very Aussie DNA, you know, boxing kangaroos, blah, blah, blah. But, <laughs> you know, he, he he does know what he's doing. He isn't an idiot. I think, and I think to call him, you know, tactically inept or anything like that, I, I do think he's put that to bed in these games. And I do think, you know, I never, I didn't really never no, no, think. No, no. Like, look, as much as yeah. what he's done to worked, you wouldn't say it was a tactical masterclass or that it was very niche Yeah, but I think, yeah, but Cody, I think, field. I agree. I think, you know, let's be honest. Like, when we look at these two games, the soccer is kind of shit out their way to 2-1-0 wins, right? You, you can really easily, you know, summarize it like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. But at the same time, I do think, you know, Australia kind of found their identity against Tunisia. They, they kind of found, like, okay, this is who we can be. We can be this absolutely stodgy defensive team who will actually wear you down mentally, and then we can back the quality that we have and the attacking talent that we have to to do something. But... 
it's not going to be individual quality, I think. It's going to be team moves. And you look at all three of the goals, I mean, that that we scored, that they're great team moves, right? Um, and that's a collective working together. And they've really brought into this collective mindset. Everything is, we defend together, we attack together, this, that, and the other. You know, the team huddles off the game. But um, is that coming from yeah. Graham Arnold being a really, really good ca- tactician? Or is that from him coming from him being a really, really good man manager? I think it's I think man that's where the difference is. I think it's a man manager. And thing. look, and, yeah. it's something that I've said, even when we've been at our worst with Graham Arnold, when FPF's relationship with him was at its worst. One thing that I've always said about him, he is a brilliant man manager. No, oh, he if is. Anything that was yeah. gonna, and if there was anything that was going to get us through this World Cup, it was going to be that. And right now, it's it's coming to a T. Absolutely. And you look at, you know, because the the, the the Sydney, you know, stint is the one that definitely sticks out most most prevalently in my mind. And, you know, even there's been some stories about him and stuff, you know, he knows how to kind of press buttons to get what he wants out of players. He does know that. You know, he, he's, he's, not, he's not an idiot, you know. And I think... You know, um, you're looking in those team huddles at the end of the game and even this morning, like those players are locked into every single word he's saying now. Like he is an Antonis setter after this year. He's won them over. And now, you know, the only thing now which is really going to hinder Australia, obviously against Argentina as well, is, okay, are they going to run out of legs, number one? And you're going to have to deal with, you know, arguably the best player of all time in Lionel Messi. So, yeah, but, but we've I don't also think- got the best centre-back of all time in Harry Suter. So. Well, obviously we have that as well, and I'm going to get to that 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 beautiful beautiful man in a moment. Um, but what I mean is, Australia they're going to go into Argentina and they're going to like you know we're confident in who we are. You know we're not going to turn up and it's like we don't really know what's going on and and all shit messy. Like you know one thing like, Graham Arnold has like, got in front of him right now is, and it's yeah. one thing that we always said about Ange Postecoglou. Graham Arnold has a team of players that would run through a brick wall for him. Yeah. Now, and I think that, that's an interesting the, similarity between the two that you bring up, I think. They, yeah. they know how to get the best out of their players. And yeah. it's one thing that I've said constantly. It's Australian managers that get it out of these players. It's why I didn't like Bert Van Marwijk. You've already seen the difference. Van Marwijk used 15 or 16 players in a 23-man squad at the yeah. 2018 World Cup. Graham Arnold clearly has a lot more faith in a lot more players in that squad. So having an Australian manager there, it, gets that, it actually gets that reaction out of you. And... Hmm. We can ridicule this Aussie DNA tag all you want, but it is an aspect of Australian sport that you do not you need to kind of take into account now. Could we be a bit better tactically? Maybe. Does it matter right now? I couldn't give a shit. No, no. <laughs> and that's the thing. what we're doing is working. That's the thing. But I think what I think what Graham Arnold has showed in this World Cup and in these two performances is that this is kind of, and this isn't. You know, I'm, I'm a massive Ange Postecoglou fan, and and I love what he did with the national team, what he tried to do with the national team. I think we all are, to be fair. I think we all are, right? But it's it probably wasn't the best approach for the stage that the national team is in right now. You know, it's not it's not the 2006 squad. If it was, and Ange was playing the football they tried to play, well, then actually Australia might have been like a really really good football team, right? But I think what Arnold has done smartly is that he does know what he's working with and he's adapted to that. But more to the point, I think for Australia, and who knows what the squad's going to look like in 2026. It could be a lot better. Definitely Harry Suter's going to be playing in the Premier League, for example. Um, but, you know, Australia, if the squad isn't going to be, you know, massively different to what it is now, for example, then I think they know that they're going to lean on this stodgy, defensive, you know, get the ball into the box early, get numbers in there, this kind of thing and the other. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, is it is it 
you know, the most preferred thing for, for us as, as Australian football fans long-term? No. But is it, does it get results? And more to the point, is it something that's sustainable for our national team going to these major tournaments? Yes. And that, for me, is most important. So there's, there's a massive, I think, there's going to be an interesting thing coming out of this, regardless of what Australia doing against Argentina. And it's probably already starting now around kind of identity and and what the Socceroos should be. Should they be like this or should they try and play like Ange tried to play and this, that, and the other. But the, the facts of the matter are this team does the dirty side well and they should keep doing it like that because, you know, it, it's it's paying off. I think one thing I really like about this squad and what Greymon has done, when it came to 2014, no disrespect to Ange Postacoglu, but he did use that 2014 World Cup as kind of a build into the yeah. Asian Cup. Yeah. It was obviously because he'd only just taken over. He didn't have a long time to really instill his playing style in that in that time. Fair enough. But he went through the whole campaign for the 2018 World Cup. Once we qualified, he was gone. We had Bert, Bert, Bert Van Wawak. Don't even want to say his name. Um, he came in. It was there for six you months. Really he just wanted a Bert free Van ticket Van to the... I can't stand him, honestly. The hearing his name, and I know it's coming up because I'm saying it, but it really grinds my gears. <laughs> but um, he was there for six months. Didn't have time to really do anything. Probably didn't want to do anything. He pissed off after six months. Obviously, Graham Arnold's already coming in, but you get what I'm trying to say. Mm. Graham Arnold has been working for this and for this moment for four years. Yeah, and no matter how you can say those four years have played out, the fact of the matter is, good or bad. Highs and lows, they've all built to this moment. Everything and I also, think, done, I also tried. think the the Olympics thing is something which has now been a little bit underrated. Like I think now when we go into it, now I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, ten players in this current Socceroos squad were at that Olympic. Maybe nine. Yeah, we're in that Olympic team that he took over. That's still impressive. Yeah, because it's only one overage player as well. So you're talking eight yeah. under twenty three players at that stage. Yeah, yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there and, was even a select few of them that were at the qualifying process. Like two years before that, hmm. so I mean, like not even the under twenty three Asian Cup, the under twenty three Asian Cup qualifiers. Yeah, you know, it, you know, it looked Cambodia. kind of like maybe at the time, Arnold was kind of he, he. It's almost like maybe does he need to just do two roles because, like, you know, we're struggling to get someone in, or maybe like financially COVID, blah blah blah. But then I don't think that was the case. I think he wanted to know what was happening in the under twenty three side, and he probably had an eye on this World Cup. So. You know, and, and the amount of players that have come from that, that's not a coincidence. So I think that was a really smart move. Um, and I do we agree. We talk with about his management. We talk about yeah. the relationship he has with, has with the players. Spending time in camp like that, that probably helps as well. Yeah. And, and I do agree with you where I think Australia's br- blueprint as well needs to be we need to have one manager for a full World Cup cycle. I don't think you can have this. And I said it before. Um, I don't know. I think it was in that podcast we did on, on Jeremy's World Cup podcast when we previewed France and I said you know looking at how we did in the 2019 Asian Cup there's really an argument to say that Graham Arnold should have been sacked then but really what's what's that what's that actually going to achieve because then you're going to get some guy in who maybe it's Tony Povich or whatever but then it's like you know you, you just wasted six months of the World Cup cycle you know this that, and the other well not um, really because that stage of the qualifying process hadn't started yet so you still got to go through all those games it's well that's really- true that's true. What I'm saying is a new manager has to come in. The players now have to adapt to potentially a new style. Maybe he now chops and changes the squad a little bit because he has different opinions on players. What I'm saying is having consistency for four years is is a lot better, regardless of how good the manager is. And I think that is what that's something that Antonis has, has said on these pods as well. And, and I totally agree with him around that. You know, you've got to have someone in for the four year cycle to, to take the team through. 
And, you know, yeah. And I think we're reaping the rewards of that. So, to quote Antonis, yeah, you make your bed, you lay in it. I know that, yeah. I know that's his favorite phrase. Yeah. But, um, you look back at the calls as well after the Japan and Saudi Arabia games, the calls to sack Arnold were as high as it could have been. Yeah. And, there was genuine strong rumors within the FA but, ha- but that, Cody, that this it was actually right. going to happen. Yeah, but this is the thing I'm saying is, if they sack Arnold after Japan, what? How is that any different to the Burma Marwak situation? Right. Exactly. So, that's that's the point yeah. I was trying to get at. Yeah. If we had done that, then we may not even be at this World Cup. Yeah. The, it's, I think it's a credit to James Johnson as well to have, even with all the outside noise going on, to have that faith in Graham Arnold, even yeah. when he he himself might have been doubting if he should. To stick with it and stick with that vision, it's paying dividends right now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's. There's a few things, a few other things I want to cover, but let's talk about that 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 brilliant centre back that we have, um, and and this this burgeoning centre back pairing that that's happening at the moment as well with Kai Rolls and Harry Suits. Kai Rolls is someone who I think needs to be talked about a little bit more because I, I remember the France game and I said it after this, you know. Rolls looked like he shat his pants in that game, and he and he just couldn't handle the occasion. Since then, he has not put a foot wrong, uh, or apart from getting Falcon against Tunisia. But you know, whatever. Um, that was a slip. Whatever. <laughs> it was but, a slip. Whatever. It could have happened anyway. But what I'm saying is, you know, it was a, it was a bit of a funny moment. Whatever. What I'm saying is, look, you look that, back now and laugh. Yeah. These two have formed this pairing now. Uh, you know where they feel they're starting to look kind of impenetrable on these crosses as well. Um, Suter's ability to launch attacks on the ball, to cover ground, to just be in the right place at the right time. I mean, it's 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 some of the best defending I've I've ever seen from an Australian defender. You know, maybe period. Um, like he, he, some of the stuff he's doing has just been absolutely fantastic against you know, uh, and and Denmark. It's not like they've got you know um, necessarily you know the same kind of star talent as as France, but. This is some pretty good players that lined up, of course, in that Danish team. And, you know, the way he was just basically saying no every single time that they attacked and, and marshalling that defense was just incredible. And he is, he, he's, he's our most important player. Uh, I think that's our un- undoubted now. And his future is, is looking very, very bright. The fact that he's only played four games since his ACL injury as well, and for yeah. him to be that sharp, that fit, that quick as well. It feels like he hasn't stopped. He's picked up right where he's left off. Yeah. If I want to point on the pairing, there's two ways you can look at this roles and suit up pairing. Either they're still very young in their careers, so either we're going to have them for probably another two World Cup cycles, yeah, leading into maybe even 2030. They're that young, they probably could. Yeah. And if they're not, it would take for a defender to be even better than what they are. And you look at maybe some players like Christian Popovich who could topple them. Um, Jairus Baguelo is another one that that'll be coming up. So I, mean, I think two take... at the moment are potentially yeah Alex Popovich and uh, I mean he's another potential for a part of situation. But Alessandro Cicciardi is another one who if if he decides exactly. to yeah if he offs to play for Australia is a big one as well. So yeah, but like you're talking, it would take like that's all, we've already got a solid centre back pairing right now, and for it to only be able to improve, we are in a very very good situation looking into the future. Yeah, and that's it's something it's almost uncharted territory. We've been complaining about a lack of youth products coming through for so so much time now. We've gone to Asian Cups before the twenty twenty one, the under twenty threes. I mean, and we've struggled. We've we've been shocking. Yeah. There was 
And even look, some of the players that are in the, in the World Cup squad now were part of those sides that struggled. Well, I remember there was one, I think it might have been 2016, where Jamie McLaren was our starting striker, mm-hmm. who's killing it in the A-League at the moment. But he, he struggled against the likes of Jordan, Vietnam. Forgive me for not remembering exactly who we played in that 2016 under-23s Asian Cup. Yeah. But we had players of that caliber in the side and we struggled. Mm. Now we're in a position where our young where our young players are competing with the best nations in Asia. So if that's not a credit to where we are, the direction that we're heading in as a football nation, I don't know what is. Like The, the only way from here is up, and that's a scary thing, because if the round of 16 with the squad that we have now, which some people are saying is the worst squad we've had in decades, and, and I think that's I think maybe that's rightfully good. so. I, I don't know. I, I I think the 2018 squad wasn't as strong, to be honest. Oh I think, yeah, look, that's probably yeah. where I'd say we, we've we've improved since then, but we've improved because we've got younger players coming through. Yeah. If you look at the 2018 squad, they were it was a lot of players that were probably in their prime and should that's have right. done a lot better than what they did. We've got probably nat- naturally better players now, but if you look at the point of their career career that they're at, they're still very young. They're still very raw. Yeah. So, for them to be performing at the level that they did, and like I said. The only way that we can go from now is up. It's scary to think about where we're going to be in the future. And we're talking about this squad being around a 16, around a 16 squad. The World Cup hasn't finished yet. We don't know if that's actually the ceiling yet or not. And it's a big if getting ahead of Argentina. But technically, we may even no, be the quarterfinal don't, side. Don't, don't, don't. I'm not going to jinx uh, it because honestly, I'm not tipping it. I'm, 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 not, I'm not back. I don't say I'm not backing us because I really do want us to do it. But. If I had to bet on it, I wouldn't. Yeah. Here's what I'd say. say. Here's what I'd say about the Argentina game. Just a quick word. You know, Argentina struggle against low blocks. And, you know, a team like the Socceroos is not really their best matchup. That's that's all I would say. Um, But but they have, you know, not just an abundance of talent, but, but, you know, (laughs) in my opinion, the greatest. You saw it in Saudi Arabia game when Saudi decided to sit back. They ran out of ideas. It was That's what I mean. Like, yeah. So it was all more individuals just trying to run. It's like, oh, I, I'm going to do yeah. this. And then when they fell, they passed someone else. And then it's like, oh, I'm gonna... there was no direction. Yeah. I definitely think Australia and Graham Arnold will probably look at the footage from that Saudi game and take a little bit of inspiration from that. And I think for, for the Socceroos going in the Argentina game, you know, it, it suits them perfectly. The underdog status, it suited them the whole tournament. That's not going to be an issue. What is a few things. I think fitness is going to be a massive determining factor. And are they, you know, if they give Argentina time and space that they did give Denmark in the first half this morning, will they get away with it with, with some poor decision-making in the final third or, or are Argentina going to be switched on? Because although they struggled in that first game against Saudi Arabia, they've turned it on these last two games against Mexico and Poland and they look like they are starting to hit their, you know, fine first gear. I think, look, if you're talking about their their final third, Having the likes of Scott Olsen running at you is a lot different to having the likes of um, Messi running at you. And we've spoken a lot in previous podcasts about how hard it was to deal with the likes of Mbappe. That's going to another level now. The difference between both the Dem- the the difference between the France game and probably the similarity between the Denmark game actually. Mm. We when we took when we had the chances to go forward against Denmark, we took them very well. I would argue Denmark's backline is on a similar level to what Argentina's is. With Denmark's centre-back pairing, you've got Barcelona centre-back, Crystal Palace centre-back, who's in Joachim Anderson, who's very yeah. underrated. Yeah. Suddenly, you're going up against Cristiano Romero, 
and Nicolas Otamendi. Well, you know, that's uh, Lissandro Martinez on the bench because yeah. that's a, that's not their preferred centre back pairing. Yeah. I don't see that as any harder than what Denmark's got. I think the biggest that's issue is how true, we're going to stop true, their attack. True, true, but here's 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 something that I would say is, and it was something that was pointed out around like Andreas Christensen, and I know him have, being a Chelsea fan, having watched him quite a lot, is that he is someone who you can exploit on aerial duels. He's not the strongest, right? But Lissandro Martinez in particular, I don't know if he's going to start this game. Maybe not, if he hasn't been. But Romero and Otamendi, particularly Romero, like they're aggressive. You know, they're not going to be bullied by Mitch Duke. There's that, right? And I think that's something where Argentina can match the Socceroos physically, that they've got personnel that can do that. Um, what, what I would say is, and this is, this might sound ridiculous, whatever, but a, a player like Mbappe is actually the worst thing for the Socceroos because, and it's what France did, where we're basically just going to exploit like a matchup. You know, get the ball to Mbappe, 1v1, and we're just going to go over and over and over again because they just can't stop him. They can't live with him. Now, I'm not saying we can live with Lionel Messi, but it, it's not like he's got that change of pace anymore. It's not like he's really going to like burst oh, past someone oh, 1v1. Look, I don't think, I don't think he's really like that anymore. Seriously, he, he, you know, he's not... This is a 35-year-old Lionel Messi. This is not the 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 25-year-old, you know, 10 years ago, the one who was basically just destroying Manchester United in, in the Champions League final in 2011, for example. You know, this is a different version of Lionel Messi. Still it's a different ex- version, but it's still a very very good player. No, 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 no. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm just saying from an Australian point of view, I'd rather deal with that type of player, one who kind of we can kind of have you know, who has the game in front of him and doesn't, you know, have the pace to maybe burn him behind as opposed to Mbappe, who is just an absolute nightmare the whole all game. Um, that that's what I was saying. So yeah. Look, I think it's not necessarily the difference between Mbappe and Messi. I think it's about how their team reacts around him as well. Messi is yeah. such a focal point of that Argentina team, not just tactically and how the team works, but almost on an emotional standpoint as well, where a lot of people are saying this World Cup is about him. We want to do this for him. Yada, yada, yada. All that bullshit. You saw in the Saudi Arabia game. I can't remember who it was that went up to Messi and started like pushing him in the back, screaming in his face, saying, you're not winning, you're not winning, you're not winning today. And Messi just kind of stood there like, oh, what the hell is this Arab dude just yelling at me? But three or four teammates of three or four Argentinian players started bolting at the guy, ready to have a go at him. They They were down two one at that stage. Mentality goes out the window. It probably contributed to why they were so lackluster and so confused in the final third because they probably had they were probably heightened with emotions. If we start targeting Messi in that way, and I said it about Mbappe, it would be maybe we're at, we're at a point where we should have just probably kicked, a, kicked him a little bit. <laughs> if you have Harry Sudar starting to throw his long ass legs around at him, it's not necessarily about getting a re- reaction out of Messi, but you're going to get a reaction out of the players around him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as good as I say Messi is. He's only one player. As good as he is, he's not going to win that game on his own. He needs the players around him. And if we can get into other players' heads like that, we may be doing ourselves a favor. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Let's let's talk a little bit about what this and and we we spoke about it after Tunisia and and we spoke about this potential resurgence of of Australian football and and what this means for our game and the ramifications of this blah blah blah. And I said. I said it's not a resurgence yet because we could easily lose to Denmark and, and throw it all away. But yeah, ha- ha- hang on, hang on, don't 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 start smiling because that's just me playing devil's advocate. Okay, all right, and we we won and we're through, and it's kind of like holy shit, like people are now kids are now going to idolize like Matthew Leckie 
and they're going to idolize Mitch Duke. And if you told me that before the tournament, I would have laughed in your face, like 100%. <laughs> I would have been like, no, no, no kid is idolizing Mitch Duke. What are you talking about? Um, but I'm the- waiting for Mitch Duke to get another gig in the A League again, and people are giving him standing ovations every game. Yeah. And, you know, what this I, I mentioned before around being an SA, like when Craig Goodwin comes back and he's playing for Adelaide United and, and just the sheer presence of him and how that could attract kids to go to games and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, this team is now, they, they're becoming role models. And I think, you know, the Fed Square thing again, which was just probably better than last time, despite being a one, you know, two o'clock game in the morning and, you know, the the, the flare stuff and blah, blah, blah. And, and you couldn't even see the screen. I think people at the stadium uh, at the at Fed Square because, you know, the smoke was covering the screen and, and blah, blah, blah. And it's just the the amount of interest this is now, you know, even today, like listening to Tifa and they're talking about, you know, you know, Australia and and like what an achievement this is for Australia and getting like actual foreign coverage of this. And also, you know, other Australian media that does not cover football that is like getting all over this as much as possible, we need to talk to Matt Ryan on Sunrise or blah, 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 because this is just a phenomenal achievement. I mean, the the thing for me is, does this last after the World Cup? How long-lasting are the effects of this? Because I think I think it could be, and I think when you've got the, World, the Women's World Cup coming up next year, which is going to be a landmark event, you've got a potential national second division. We've got the A-League, which... You know, it's a Socceroos are to win against Argentina. The A-League could resume with the Socceroos, you know, fronting up a quarterfinal and the interest that that could have with that being paired next to the return of the A-League and people basically, you know, looking at their weekend schedule in terms of sport and saying, I've got to watch the football. I mean, the, the ramifications of this are not, we don't know about them yet, but they could be absolutely huge. I think it does help the fact that once this World Cup is done, a lot there's a, a fair amount of those players who, once this World Cup campaign is finished, they're going to be playing in the A League again, and that's something that maybe, hopefully, the media does latch onto a little bit. Like you mentioned, Goodwin before, when he goes back to Adelaide, yeah. mind you, over in Adelaide, your football coverage is fantastic, a lot better than what they do it on the Eastern Seaboard. So building on that, you're pro- we're probably going to have an advantage where we're really going to be able to push it constantly. You mentioned the Women's World Cup before. There's really not much space for football not to be in the mainstream media for a long yeah. time. Yeah. So the fact that that like it's coming at a good period, and let's just say we do beat Argentina, you're pairing that with the return of the A League. Not just that, but I'm pretty sure that quarterfinal is actually played on the weekend too. <laughs> so like one, we're actually going to have a we're actually going to have a good turnaround, but we're also in a position where I think it might be the Saturday morning. So you're going to have yeah the Friday night game. Leading yeah. into that one as well, if that is not a marketing tool set yeah, yeah. given to you on a silver platter, I, I don't know what is. I yeah. could not think of a better situation for the APL to be in. But you know what's interesting? Um, something I thought about was, you know, when you look at 2006 and what happened when the Australia, when Australia made the round of 16 and that was right around the period that the A-League was really taking off. And it's almost like the A-League is actually retaking off at the moment as well because of what happened with covid and now the APL, you know, it's completely independently run and they can do what they want. And we've seen that with things like illegal access and, you know, the APL having total control of what can be done with the A-League. And I think 
this this potential second resurgence or second coming of Australian football, if you want to look at it like that, is really nicely coinciding with the A-League lifting and, and rising out of COVID. And again, we have to, you know, we have to be patient and we have to see how this really eventuates long term. But, you know, I mentioned it around the Sydney Derby crowd and what a spectacle that was. And, you know, Adelaide United getting almost a sell-up from Melbourne Victory game, which they haven't done in years. And you know, it's 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 stuff that we you know we just haven't seen for years, and now the soccerers are doing this, and you're just kind of like, surely, surely now, like football is not gonna not saying anything like it's gonna take over AFL or anything like that, blah blah blah. But what I'm saying is, it's gonna be at the forefront of people's minds, and I think for that to happen is hugely, hugely important. I've been constantly comparing ourselves to AFL and NRL could be our I think it's field. wrong. I think it's wrong. If we if, if we focus on ourselves, yeah. we could generally look at overtaking them. But we can't do it by oh that's what they're getting. We need to target that. But I don't think focus I don't on think... ourselves, focus on gradually building ourselves. Yeah. And we'll get there. But because... I don't think Cody, I, I think you know I, I get it because you know we, we feel like we're always hard, hard done by with the AFL and that they always want to paint us in a bad light and they've victimized us, right? I get it. But do we really have to I don't think we need to look at things all the time as we have to beat the AFL or we have to take over the AFL. I think the two can coexist. That's not a problem, right? And I think that, more importantly, watching this World Cup and, and listening to people, blah, 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 a lot of people that I'm seeing who are getting around this are AFL fans. Like, they are actually kind of... And, and maybe it's because the AFL's not on and blah, 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 and, and they just want to get around an Australian team. But one thing about Australia, I mean, look at the Olympics. You know, everyone watches the... 100 meter swimming race or whatever when when an Australian did it you know everyone remembers the Stephen Bradbury moment so everyone's gonna watch the Socceroos against Argentina you know once you make yourself you show the nation that you are capable of actually being good in your sport the nation gets behind you and I think you know it's not so much about we need to, you know, overtake AFL or NRL or something like that. I think we need to try and engage different fan groups. And I think what that's what we're doing at the moment because I could tell you at the Archibald watching the game, you know, that's a predominantly AFL kind of orientated pub. And there's a lot of guys who are footy guys. They've got no idea what they're talking about the game. I don't really care. They're there. They're cheering on the Socceroos and it's fantastic. Look, I think you mentioned 2006 before. The crowd, the crowd numbers we got in 2006, I think, often goes underrated because it was a lot of, um, I wouldn't say neutral fans, but more kind of those ones that aren't really into football. It was just more, oh, yeah, casual fans. The ones that kind of, oh, this is a new thing. Let's go and check it out. Yeah. But we, when we think about the glory days of the A-League, we think more that period between 2012 and 2015 because that was when the atmosphere was at its peak. That part's starting to come back into it now where you talk about the Sydney Derby, the original rivalry games, mind you. Fantastic! That's leading into the World Cup because that's football hasn't been out of the media's mouth in six weeks. That's probably the craziest thing about this right now. Yeah, but if we're we're in a position where we can bring those casual fans back, we now have something tangible that we can use to hold on to them. And I think that's something that we didn't have in '06, where everyone that was at the games were kind of casual fans, just oh yeah, let's check this out. Whereas now, and I wonder, I wonder those casual fans come. Yeah, I wonder if the other thing is people. You know, we talk about Euro snobs all the time, right? And and you know, Matt, Matt always brings them up and stuff, and, and the Euro snobs and the Optus Sport comment section, blah blah blah. But you know, it's interesting because those fans might actually go around now and actually look at it and say, "Holy shit!" Like, 
you know, maybe the A-League's actually half decent. Like, not not like it's a world-class league or anything like that, but maybe it can produce some talent. Maybe I should be watching this. Like, maybe and they're probably They're the casual yeah. fans that I'll be talking about. They'll wander yeah. down to an A-League game. Yeah. They'll see, oh, holy shit, there's actually more to just the game. There's an atmosphere. There's a lifestyle here. And that's what can get people sucked into it. I remember when the Wanderers came around, I used to go with a, a group of family friends. There was like almost 20 of us. Yeah. And half the time they said, we're here for the atmosphere. We're like, yeah. The game's a game, but there's so much more to it as well. Yeah. And the point on the Euro, the Eurosnobs as well, mind you, um, this is what I'm uh, saying to them right now. A little crying yeah. celebration because I'm sure they're ecstatic that the soccer is actually doing well with an yeah, Cody, 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 Cody shared a uh, Cody shared an Mbappe crying celebration and 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 said uh, to the Euro snobs on his uh, on his social media, which I thought was hilarious. So yeah, look, I do love giving it to them a little bit, yeah. but um, I think the thing that's going to really strike that that's going to stand out to them at the moment is they follow all these pages on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook that show football culture from around the world. And they're like, see, this is what football's about. We don't have that in Australia. But now those pages are talking about Australia. That's right. And I think that's what's going to be, be the yeah. thing that really clicks in their brain. It was like, oh, we we do have this here. Like, you we know, do I have think, football culture Yeah, here. I think you talk about the, the Fed Square limbs and stuff like that. I mean, one thing that, you know, those Euro stomps that we talk about love is, you know, how the Premier League is like, you know, look at the limbs when so-and-so scored and look at the fans and look how crazy they go and stuff like that. Well, guys, look at this. You've got this in your own backyard. I mean, you know. The, you've got yeah. things like Lad Bible, and not Lad Bible Australia, Lad, Lad Bible's head office in England talking about, holy shit, look at these Australian fans up at 4 yeah. in the, four o'clock in the morning celebrating yeah. their team. That's that's something that people overseas are seeing as such a big deal before people in our own backyard. And as much as it is kind of sad, it, it could also be a good thing because if that's where these guys are looking at for their opinions on football, where they're very influenced by, if they're now tr- helping people in our own backyard get influenced by football, yeah. as much as it might be frustrating, it's only a win because you're getting more people sucked into Australian football. No, but that's that's the thing is you look at the APL's whole kind of idea with, with keep-up and stuff is that they're trying to convert these fans that we're talking about into A-League fans. That That's the whole kind of idea. And the Socceroos, what, what, what they may be, I don't know if they forgot about this, but definitely what they would have relied upon and, and definitely would have been a bonus is what the Socceroos can do well on a world stage. I mean, there's no, these Euro snobs or whatever, they have to take note of it and they have to investigate and look further into the A-League and this, that and the other. And the other thing is, you know, they are going to look at this squad and you're going to see, like, there's a lot of guys who, you know, uh, there's a few, of course, are playing in the A-League, but a lot of guys who were built in the A-League and went to Europe, but then, you know, just, just guys who are playing in Europe, like they're playing in not the best leagues, but, you know, you, you want to talk about being a Eurosnob, whatever. Well, you know, there's actually a few Aussies out there who are playing in, in European leagues and doing well. I mean, you know, if people didn't know about Harry Suter before this tournament, then... I tell you, they fucking know about him now. And, well, they're watching the game, so I'm sure you can't miss him. Well, there's that as well. <laughs> um, you know, and I was watching. Look, I was watching the game yeah. with my mum this morning, and she was sitting there. Suda made a tackle, and she was looking at the screen. She's going, "Is that Harry Suda?" Yeah. And I just kind of looked at her, and I was like, "Can you not recognize him by his long fucking legs?" Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and if he gets a Premier League move, then you know. These people who follow the Premier League and they go, oh, that's 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 Harry Suter. I mean, that's the guy who was part of Australia and, and all of this sort of stuff. So, 
it's, it's also really about the club that he goes to as well. And mm. before his ACL injury, there was strong interest from Everton, and they were willing to yeah. pay yeah. a solid thirty million for him. Yeah. So if that interest comes back after they've seen him, his performance at the World Cup, we kind of it's like you look at the Aaron Moy situation where people are going, "Oh, it's just a Huddersfield. Oh, it's just a Brighton." If you're at a club like Everton, that's a big club. As much as they might be a laughing stock every now and then, you know, no, but you know the other thing Cody, is that, but they're, been... they're a high reputable club. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Everton, are, Everton, are a huge club uh, in their own right. But the other thing is, you look at Moy in this World Cup, and you can still see that it's like you, you can see, and same with Lecky in moments, but really Moy, like this is a guy who's playing the Premier League at the top level. Like you could tell in moments, and look, he's he's not as quick as he once was, and maybe he's you know not that doesn't have the same control over games. But at the end of the day, the soccer is a, are not really trying to do that anyway. But Aaron Moy is is showing that. How, how vital top-tier European football experience is. And I said it about this squad. Let's wait till 2026 because look at Gianni Bacchus. You look at Riley McGree, uh, Cammy Devlin, um, you know, Kai Rolls. These guys in, in two, three years, they could well be playing in top five leagues in Europe. And, and if they are, and, you know, we could, we could, and this is a massive assumption, and I'm and I'm realizing now that I'm just gone from really pessimistic to now being being the cautious optimist myself. Is that we could have like a potential second-ish golden generation come 2026. Um, that that's very feasible. But on on myself as well, I just want to say something because you know before the tournament, and and people who know me and people who know how I talk about Australian football is that yeah, sometimes I can be quite pessimistic. Um, and I'm not the biggest optimist in the world. But I'll tell you one thing for sure is that I am never, never going to look at the Socceroos getting through to the round of 16 and go, oh, well, they're just lucky. They're still shit because that does not achieve anything. And if there are people out there who are still bagging Graham Arnold when he's done this, I mean, to be honest, shame on you because, you know, you might not like the guy. You don't have to like the guy. I don't really give a shit. At the end of the day, he's (laughs) achieved something which is really special. And the Socceroos, whether you like the squad or not, whether you think the squad is good or not, Again, it doesn't matter because they are achieving something which is unprecedented and you have to get behind it. So I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to be pessimistic and then when the team does well, go, uh, you know, uh, well, they're still like, they're still shit and, you know, this is all luck and stuff like that. And and people who are doing that, you know, shame on you. So, yeah. There's literally no scope to do that this time, though. Like, it's yeah. not like we're in a position where we've had a we've gotten three points and maybe two other teams have gotten three points and we stumbled through on goal difference so we've gotten a win and a draw got a bit lucky some results went our way think about it this way we only came second because of goal difference we were on equal points with France well here's the thing we, we technically came equal first in this group here's something which has been pissing me off a little bit and I've been hearing this about Tunisia it's like oh well you know Tunisia um you know, if you told them before the tournament that they wouldn't lose to either France or Denmark and get knocked out, I mean, they'd feel hard done by it. But in the reality, it's like, well, no, we beat them. So, you know, get fucked. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of how I look Tunisia, at it. Tunisia will probably look at, on it with disappointment, not hard done by Like, they had two good results against France and Denmark. Yeah. We should be the easy beats, but they didn't do it. They didn't No, but you know the game. other thing. Yeah, other thing. And because uh, I was watching the game of their turners, and he made a really good point around how often do the Socceroos, like, Tunisia scored, and you're thinking like, and it only it happened just before Lecky's goal, which is interesting. But you're kind of thinking, ah, oh, here we go, like, fucking, like we're gonna finish bottom somehow out of out of all this, like somehow, like you know what I mean. And still, the Socceroos responded, and they won the game. Like that's that was kind of unheard of, really. Like even 
the 06 team, you know, they needed to battle for that draw to get through even, you know? Like, this team is... <laughs> they've achieved the same amount of points as the world champions. I mean, like, what? It's, exactly. Yeah, exactly. and that's the thing which is just bizarre. So, yeah. Look, I don't know. I'm going to play a bit of devil's advocate here. I'm going to be the pessimist this time. You're playing know. devil's advocate. What the hell? What, Look, what day is it? Anyway. <laughs> It's for a very minute thing, though. I don't know if it was a mentality thing of, oh, yeah, Tunisia's gone up. We need to get a goal. I think there's a good to fair chance we actually had no idea because of well, how the, quick it was. Did you did you see did you see what um I think uh it was it was Irvine who was talking post match to to it was just on the football football not SA football Australia uh kind of media releases and stuff uh they just did a quick interview with him after the game and. He was talking about how Milos Tejanek came over when when they were celebrating like his goal, and he said, "Tunisia are ahead. We need to win this game." And the players didn't believe him. The players actually didn't believe him. They they yeah, like like they were like. I think nah, the only thing like, that would have given it away when the goal did when the notification came through on my phone at least, you could kind of hear the cheering going around the stands. Yeah, yeah, but so maybe. But the other thing which is interesting is it was they thought it was like a a, a tactic from Tejanek to say, "Hey guys." You know, he, he didn't. He didn't know that they had scored, and maybe he was just saying, "Oh, they're in front," so then they'd make sure that they that they held out for the win. Um, which is, if he was thinking like that, I mean, that's some like forty chess right there. Um, but <laughs> you know, no, no, he was speaking straight facts. Oh, I think the best thing about this: imagine if Denmark, if imagine if we drew that game, and yeah. then all the VAR drama that happened after our full time whistle happened, <laughs> where our game's finished, Griezmann scored, we're sitting there thinking, "Fuck yeah, we're through." Yeah, and then VAR decides to disallow it in controversial circumstances as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think some people might say, "Oh, lucky we got the win," but no, we we got through because we deserved it. We got three points. Also, th- thanks, thanks France as well, uh, Jeremy, if you're listening to this podcast. Thanks to your country for um, you know, almost bottling it for us. Uh, that that's great. I mean, you, you hammer us four one, and then you and then you lose to like, you know, to to let's be honest, like we played Tunisia, you know. Yes, they're a decent side, but for France to lose to them, I mean, that's pretty poor. I know they rotated the squad heavily and stuff like that, but even... It's rotated, they're playing one of the best young midfielders in the world at left I back. Know. I know, they're playing Kevin at left back, but I mean, still, that, that France, like, second-tier team is still better than Tunisia. Like, come on, you know? Uh, so that was frustrating, to be honest. It was kind of like... Well, look, the really? second-tier team yeah. is probably the one that was on the park in the first place because of the amount of injuries they've got. So you're talking almost dipping into the third tier now. But even then... yeah. Even like with guys like you shouldn't be losing the game like that. Yeah, yeah, but that's probably something that plays into account the round of sixteen. Good thing is, if we were to verse France again, it ain't till the grand final anyway. Yeah, and we got a lot of football to play before we can even think about that. Calm down. Um, Man, we we've made the round of sixteen. My my mind is spiraling right now. I think the only in my mind we've already Matty Ryan's already lifting the trophy. Yeah, I know, but. The only thing that could really deflate all this is if we got hammered like 5-0 against Argentina. I think people probably bummed out then. But really, you know, th- there's nothing to be negative about now. I mean, we've got now free hit after free hit. If we we go against Argentina, look, we know what the players are like. They'd be a very grand little tournament. They want to try and win the game. They want to try and progress. I get it. But it's not like Arnold or the players are going to get criticized if they lose. If they lose 2-1 or something like that. I mean, that's what they've been able to do is still... A remarkable achievement and it has to be celebrated. And I don't think anyone should think, oh, well, if they lose the round of 16, oh, you know, who cares? You know, it was like they think went past 06. It's like, that's silly. When you talk about getting smacked, though, I think people might look at the France game and say it is a possibility. 
the biggest praise that I can give Graham Arnold from this tournament. And it's what I said in the after the France game in the lead up to the Denmark game. Graham Arnold never learns from his mistakes. This is the first time I've seen it happen. Like he's gone. Okay, this is what went wrong in the France game. He said it in a press conference what went wrong. And I think most people are still sitting there thinking, this is just words. We're going to go against Tunisia. Yeah. We're going to do the exact same thing. But we didn't. We improved. Yeah. We saw the mistakes that we made in the French game. We worked on it. And we we're actually better for it. That is something I haven't seen in the Graham Arnold era yet. And if that's a sign of what things to come, I'd even go as far to say I'd be happy to see him on for another four years. And that is no, something no, I never not, thought I'd not, ever say. Let's not get into this. Let's not get into this. This is, this is something I've been seeing today as well. And it's just kind of like, let's just wait till after Look, the World it's Cup. A, it's I'm a conversation, conversation for after the World Cup. It is a conversation for after the World Cup. I'm, it's a I'm getting a bit ahead of myself now, I will yeah. admit. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because uh, you know the, the other point, thing the, is the other thing as well is Arnie might actually want to break. He's actually suggested that as well. Um, so I don't know, you know, what his situation and his feeling is towards this either. Um, but you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because around him learning for his mistakes and stuff. Because the first half against Denmark, you're kind of thinking, have we learned anything from France? Like we are not, we're not trying to take this game to them at all. We're clearly playing for a draw, blah blah blah. But then it flipped in the second half. Back has come on. It changed, and you're like, okay. He might have had a long-term plan here of holding out the first half, you know. And See, then, like and then, I said, I don't think it yeah. was that. I think it was just Denmark came out pretty strong, and we just struggled to match with them. I don't, I don't think it was how we set up. I think we were just getting outclassed. No, but we were pretty deep at the first half. You have to say that we, oh, we, we didn't we have deep any because we were forced to, to go deep. It, it was we weren't just sitting deep. We were we were being forced back. We had their two wingers non-stop running at our fullbacks. It's not like they were ever going to be able to go forward. But the second half. We coped with it a lot better, and we were able to do that. I don't think... Look, there is the massive... It's apples and oranges that first and second half, but I don't think it was our setup that was the issue with it. I think it was just how Denmark were playing themselves. Like I said, the further the game got on, the more they got frustrated, the more we were able to get into it, and the more we were actually able to see what Arnold was trying to implement in that game. I might yeah. be playing devil's advocate here. I might, I might be giving... Arnold a bit more benefit than what he should be, but I don't know. I don't think that's how look, I saw the game play out. I don't necessarily think, you know, it's it's black or white where it's like you either get forced back or you either decide to sit back. I think it's a bit of both. Uh, I always think that. So I think Australia could have easily like look at Saudi Arabia against Argentina, for example. Uh, you know, yeah, they were defensive, but their line was really high. So you know, it, it kind of meant that there were certain opportunities where they could press and they could attack. Blah blah blah. So. I don't know, but I would say if I'm a Danish fan coming going to halftime, I would have been thinking, okay, if we just sharpen up in the final third, no problem, we got this in the bag because they were playing the ball around really nicely, really good passing moves. You know, they were dragging Australia out, midfielders out into wide areas, creating space, this, that, and the other. So, and I mean, for them, I'm sure, you know, uh, we don't have to go into it massively on this podcast, but, you know, for, for I thought they were going to win the group <laughs> and for them to go out bottom is 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 quite unbelievable as well but uh yeah one of one of the shocks of the tournament the other way one of the underperformers and australia is arguably the biggest overachiever and as i said in the preview for france i said it's never us um well well christian marchetti it is us um and yeah still can't really and look still can't really believe it yeah underdogs get out of the group all the time it's about what you do from here going on we probably won't be remembered that much if we don't beat Argentina. Obviously, Australia is going to remember this for a very long time. That's what I mean. Uh, the important thing is that Australia as a country remembers this, uh, I think. Yeah. 
But even looking at it from a worldwide perspective, we now have everything to gain and absolutely nothing to lose. Like you said, yeah. if we lose this match, because yeah. a big deal. We lost to Argentina. Yeah. Argentina could very well go on and win the World Cup. They've got the squad too. Yeah. No it was one's well, many people talent. were many people were very high on Argentina, which I didn't totally agree with before the World Cup because of their massive undefeated run and this and the other. Um, but yeah, that's up they, next to the What, what didn't anyway. you agree on? Sorry, what's that? What didn't you agree on? I, I didn't think I, I, I've never trusted Argentina at major tournaments. That's that's my thing, I guess. And, and it's probably a a young memory of watching Maradona's Argentina absolutely shit the bed against Germany in 2010. Um, and lose 4 0. And that's probably. Oh, you said Maradona's Argentina. I was like, you weren't alive in 1986. No, nah, mate. Jesus. <laughs> when, when he was coaching, that's, and that's, that's the part of Diego Maradona you want to forget is when he was coaching. Yeah. My God. Um, but anyway, you're right. Australia have nothing to lose. Um, if they win, I think, I, I think probably. If we probably, win, we're going to be known as the nation that stopped Messi from winning his World Cup. Absolutely. And there's going to be the amount of suitor pocketing messy kind of memes that are going to come out after that game and the shithousery on soccer Twitter, this and the other. I'm actually looking forward to these next few days leading into it. There's going to be so much like, you know, Goodwin's better than Messi or like all this sort of kind of crap, um, which is going to be hilarious to witness on social media. I mean, the, the whole nation is going to get around this. And I think what's actually great is this is bringing all parts of the, the football circle together in Australia as well, which, which sometimes can be divided. Like, you know, you look at, it's not just football circles. Yeah. I had a lady at work today, the first time I jumped on a meeting this morning. The first thing she mentioned to me was, how good was that game this morning? She yeah. didn't watch it, but she knew she yeah. woke up this morning to the news and she was like, oh my God, like people are paying attention to us, whether they're watching or not. Like people are following this journey now. Like, people are really getting behind it. And the, football you- is currently on the forefront of the common, the random Australian citizen. Average Australian citizen. Were you about to say on the common football fan? Anyway, um, no, of the common. I was going to say the common Australian citizen. Uh, the common Australian football fan. Uh, anyway, <laughs> what what I mean is, I think I feel more than ever that the actual, you know, soccer community that we that we have. Obviously, I call it football, but you know, the, the soccer Twitter community or whatever. You know, all the well, soccer common- football. It's a stupid debate. I really couldn't give a fuck. Personally, I think well, it's, well, a, stu- well, I it's a stupid football. thing to nitpick. Right. Anyway, um, but but I wouldn't call us a football ruse. I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, look, it doesn't roll off the tongue very well. No, no, it just doesn't. But what I mean is, it, it just feels like you know, even you hear like like Vince Regalia, I'm pretty sure, like kissed Joey Lynch like at full time in in the in the press box in Doha and stuff like that. Like everyone is just not like, on the mouth, right? It. That would have gotten him arrested or something. Yeah, no, I think, but I think he tweeted it. I think he tweeted it. He was like, yeah, I might get arrested, but who cares? I mean, it's the <laughs> thing. Like, we are beyond the point of care. Yeah, everyone is together. In Doha. Yeah, everyone is together. It's going to be, it's a good time, 5.30. I mean, it's a Sunday morning, which which might turn some people off, I guess. But, you know, they probably want to sleep in. But, I mean, there's going to be, and I'm hoping to get out there to, to Fed Square to watch this game. That's going to be absolutely packed. Um, And this nation is going to be totally, totally, invested in this game and we've already seen today Peter Malinowskis announced a live site for South Australia Dominic Perrottet uh, a little bit a little bit slow in that department though so uh, we're going to have to wait considering how big of a city Sydney <laughs> is no offence to you guys over in Adelaide we really should have had this organised a lot sooner we should have been doing this for the group no, stage I know I know. I, I think been. it's pathetic um, but you know I think that the the premiers and, and Anthony Albanese Need to need to kind of wake up and, and see how big this is because Anthony it, Albanese is Italian. 
Italy is a football. Why is he not investing in? No, in I don't know. I don't know. His I, background I don't get sport it. in the, in, in the country that he leads. I, I don't get it either. We um, have we have a wog president. Let him invest in the wog ball. Prime Minister Matt. We're not, we're not living in America. Call. I'm too happy to give a fuck. All right. All right, that's about that's gonna about wrap it up. This has actually gone on for quite a while. Uh and my vocal cords are really starting to struggle. And you're probably hearing how nasally I'm coming out at the moment as well. Uh and once again, apologies for that. The but things we the things we do for this country. The things we do the things we do for the for the for the football community, uh at front page football. I mean, it's 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 very it's very underestimated because I was even willing to do a podcast this morning at eight thirty. Um and, and sacrifice my sleep. But uh, yeah, yeah, look, some of us have to work nine to fives, man. Yeah, well, I had to work today as well. <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, but yeah, no one else got on board with that because uh, you know everyone's a party pooper. But anyway, um, that's yeah, let, let me just tell my boss I'm I'm going to be two hours late because I'm recording a podcast. Not you, just 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 others. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for this for this uh, third reaction pod uh, for the Socceroos this World Cup. We will have a fourth, regardless of what happens against Argentina. Um, and I guess it will be on a Sunday. Uh, so given that game is a Sunday morning and, uh, yeah, look, don't know what's going to happen. Uh, if we win though, I don't know. I I don't know what the podcast is going to be, to be honest. Maybe it's just like a recording for an hour and a half of everyone speechless. Like, I don't think any (laughs) words will actually be said, (laughs) um, but you know, stay tuned for that. And, uh, yeah, keep checking out our content as well on, on frontpagefootball.net. And uh, stay in tune as well for our World Cup podcast hosted by Jeremy McGarn as well. We had some great guests on recently too uh, to preview that Australia-Denmark game as well, which was really interesting. And uh, yeah, more good content coming your way. Cody, any last words? Um, Look, it can only go up from here. You can tell I'm a little bit speechless already. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just, fuck. Our World Cup journey can only go up from here. If it ends on Sunday... So be it. It was a fantastic ride. I have been enjoying this so, so much. And it probably does help. Like, this is the first World Cup Australia's been really good at since I've been able to understand what was going on in football. So, yeah, that's always good. But if it does continue, we are in for a wild ride, not just for the rest of this World Cup, but for a very long term future. If we can say as a football nation that we have been in the quarterfinals of a World Cup, it's it's a stuff of dreams. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't jinx it. But we have a very, very good opportunity. I don't want to say to make history because that's not in our hands, but to witness history. So, look, if you're not someone that usually gets around the Socceroos, get down to your local. Get it on TV. Make sure you're up at 6 o'clock in the morning. It is not that early. Just don't go out on a Saturday night for once. Or if you do, pull an all-nighter. Make sure you're watching that game on Sunday morning because you do not want to miss this. No, you don't. And, and if playing against the greatest player of all time is enough motivation for you, I don't know what is. Exactly. All right. I've got three words to finish. Um, Aussie fucking DNA. Okay. Um, and um, I'm we'll... getting an Aussie DNA tattoo. Honestly, it, it will happen, especially if we beat Argentina. Oh, uh, well, Aussie DNA versus Lionel Messi. Who would have thought? All right. It's beautiful. The stuff of dreams. It's just beautiful. It's just all coming together. Okay. That's going to end this podcast um, and you can, yeah, you can listen to us in the next one soon. 